reading is on page 1160. It's on the screen. Paul's writing, and he says, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to Christ, to God, the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? And like so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity, as those sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you're a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our confidence comes from God. He has made us confident as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit brings life. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory trained with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, 
the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello again. Thank you, Andrew, for that reading. Let's pray. Lord, grant us the grace to desire you and in desiring to seek your face, and that in seeking that we will find you and love you with our whole heart. And Lord, as we seek you, help us to be mindful of the fact that you are seeking us so much more. Amen. So as John mentioned earlier on, we continue our Sunday sermon series on the strength of weakness. The strength of weakness. And as we begin, I have a joke. A strong young man at a building site was bragging that he could outdo anybody in a feat of strength. So he made a lot of fun out of Bill, one of the older workmen. After several minutes, Bill had had enough. Why don't you put your money where your mouth is, he said. I'll bet you a week's wages that I can push something in a wheelbarrow over to that building over there that you won't be able to push back. You're on, old man, said the young guy. It's a bet. Let's see what you've got. Bill reached out and grabbed the wheelbarrow by the handles and then nodding at the young man, he said, OK, get in. Huh? Are you awake? The nine o'clock were right there with that joke. <laughs> I can't tell you. The contrast, it was stark. Anyway, <laughs> again, in this week's passage from the second letter to the Corinthian church, Paul helps us to see how God can produce strength in weakness. I wonder how aware you are today of your limitations as a Christian. Could you do with some help with how to live the Christian life, and more specifically, how to be committed to one another in Christian community? Or how to live a life for Jesus that stands out and makes a difference each and every day, every moment of every day? Or how you get on with doing the things that God's asking of you, even when you don't know how on earth you're going to manage it? I know I do, so hopefully we can be honest together this morning so that I'm not stood here thinking that I'm completely alone in it. Today, Paul addresses several issues to help us not to be held back in living the Christian life, not to accept second best or to become content with a lower standard of Christian living or a way of living that completely avoids or navigates God's purposes for us. And it all begins with accepting our limitations, knowing our weaknesses, knowing our flaws, knowing where our own strength ends and so let's explore these together. It may help you to have the passage open in front of you. And what we're going to do is try and delve into several of the images that Paul employs so often that can sound like riddles and actually are really helpful images for us. Firstly then, Paul begins this section of the letter by telling how his anxiety 
to have news from the Corinthian church meant that he couldn't wait any longer and he, so he had to leave Troas even though God was opening up doors for him he was revealing encouraging signs there Paul was restless and so he set off to meet Titus whom he hoped would be the bearer of news at the time when Paul decided not to visit the Corinthian church it seems then that Titus did instead maybe taking with him the letter that Paul refers to in verse 4 of chapter 2, a letter containing quite a lot of anguish. What is clear is that the time of writing this latest letter is one of considerable strain. There are fears and there's fighting within the Corinthian church. A vicar once said this, whenever the difficulties of church life get too much, I go and visit the local kennels there's a whole group there that's always pleased to see me. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? In fact, dogs are always pleased to see their owners. I'm always struck by that with Max, our dog. And there's that saying, isn't there? One day I hope to become the person my dog thinks I am. It's very true. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Strings are an inescapable part of church community life. There is no perfect church member and therefore no perfect church. You don't need to be told that. We make mistakes. We choose to act dishonorably, expect the impossible for one another, and we cause hurt. We don't need to excuse this, but we do need to face up to it. Otherwise, we can become disappointed very quickly and we can lose heart. If our church is to grow in genuine community with one another and relationship then this requires each of us to be committed to one another, come what may, to not give up on one another. Elsewhere in his writings, Paul tells us, though, that we are all one in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the glue in our community. And it's only through our commitment to him that we'll be able to be committed to his church. After all, the limitless love of Jesus means that, amazingly, he never gives up on us. And so in the light of this, our faithfulness to one another, our bearing with one another, our honesty and our commitment to resolve difficulties will help build genuine relationships that will push through the stresses and strains of community life and reach a much deeper level. Paul is honest about his anxieties and having alluded to the strains of the church in Corinth, he writes something incredibly important for us the hope we have in Jesus. In verse 14 of chapter 2, he says this, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Paul thanks God that in Christ, he'll bring all struggles to a joyful victory. Here, Paul is borrowing an image from the Roman Empire. In a triumph, the procession of a victorious general would march through the streets of Rome and part of that procession contained the priests swinging their sweet-smelling incense. To the victors, the fragrance was the perfume of joy and life, but to those taken captive and walking in chains, the fragrance was one of death. And so a similar picture is in Paul's mind, but instead he now sees Jesus marching in triumph across the whole world. This is a march a procession that no one and nothing can stop. 
And in this procession are those who follow Jesus and tell of his victory and live out his love. To those who welcome his gospel and love, it's the sweet-smelling fragrance of life, just as with the Roman victors. But to those who push the message and love of Jesus away, it's the fragrance of death, just as it was for those held captive in chains. Paul was certain that nothing in all the world can defeat Jesus. And so, although he carried fears and anxieties, and even though the church was under strain, he knew this wasn't the full picture. It wasn't the whole story. He had a glorious hope in the victory of Jesus. I wonder, like Paul, what anxieties and fears each of us carry. Only you and I know. I encourage us all to be honest about these things with ourselves, with God, of course, and with one another. And in what ways is Christchurch under strain as a community, even though there's much fruit and lots of exciting things that God is bringing about? What deep spiritual needs do we have? We're crying out to God for his Holy Spirit, his refining fire, our finances, spiritual warfare, and need for deeper relationships. These are just the things I carry with me and I'm praying into. Ultimately, nothing in all the world can defeat Jesus and those who walk in his procession. We have a tremendous hope. And as we remain faithful to Jesus and to one another, and as we tell of his glorious victory and live out his love, we will spread everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Secondly then, having used the image of Christians spreading this wonderful, sweet-smelling fragrance of Jesus, Paul now borrows another image from the ancient world, and it's one of letters. And you can see this at the start of chapter 3. In the ancient world, people often sent letters of recommendation before an official visit. It acted like an endorsement for that person. And Paul asks the Corinthian church if letters like that are needed again, you know, to get their relationship back on track. Do we need to send letters of recommendation again? Are we back at that stage? And having asked them, he immediately answers the question by telling them that they are a letter. They're a letter of Christ. They themselves are an open letter for Jesus. The transformation Jesus has made to their hearts, or the lack of it, of course, can be read by anyone who sees them. Paul shows the church in Corinth and all churches since, including us, that every one of us as Christians is a letter for Jesus. Whether we like it or not, we're a walking advert for Christianity. The message and love of Jesus has been placed in our hands, ours. We judge a shop by the quality of the goods sold there. We judge a government by the difference they make to our country. We judge an artist by the paintings produced. We judge an author by his or her books. And so we judge a church by the kind of Christians it creates. And the world judges Jesus by his followers. Dick Shepherd, former dean of Canterbury and great preacher, once said this, the greatest handicap the church has is the unsatisfactory lives of professing Christians. It's quite a sobering thought, but it's true. How can this be changed? Well, of course, it's with God's help. But we have to face up to the reality first. Why should Christians set our standards so low? Why put up with relationships that only go skin deep? Why care 
for Baston Hill with only a sort of um, token gesture of care? How do we live in a way where colleagues notice or know what we truly stand for at work? And how would our family know what kind of love Jesus would show in difficult situations where forgiveness is needed? Paul lays down a challenge for all his readers. Wherever we go, we all have the weighty responsibility of being open letters, walking adverts for Jesus. John Whitcomb, a friend of ours, is the Dean of Coventry Cathedral. And Coventry Cathedral has a long-standing ministry of reconciliation. And you may have seen in the media where the Coventry Football Club and the the owners of the Rico Stadium uh, (coughs) fell out. And so Coventry had to play their uh, football games, their football matches elsewhere. And John noticed this and he thought, well, this church has a ministry of reconciliation and we can play a part in this. And so him and uh, some colleagues from the cathedral got the two parties together in London and they sorted things out. And with much prayer and much work on both sides, they worked it out. John and the cathedral were a walking advert for Jesus, an open letter. And we are too. I wonder what transforming work Jesus is doing or wants to do in your heart and my heart so that people can read all about it in the way that we live. Let's pause to allow God to bring these things to mind and we can ask Jesus to change us by his love. Let's just pause for a moment or two now. Moving on again then, the third thing Paul is keen to inform his readers that whatever he's done, it's God's work, not his. He doesn't say, hey church, look what I've done. Instead he says, look what God's done. In chapter 3 verses 4 to 6 he highlights that it isn't his skill or competency, but God's. In fact, without God he feels completely incompetent of the task set before him. Fully aware of his weaknesses, Paul never thought that he was capable himself of God's work. It was God who made him capable. I wonder how many of us try to avoid what God asks of us or is asking of us, or put off finding out, or fear ever being told because we're worried that we just won't have what it takes. I know I do, because following Jesus is a costly business. Grace has reminded us of that fact just a few minutes ago. And as a vicar, I'm all too aware of this at times. The task God gives us, or the tasks God gives us, whatever they are, at work or in family life or in church, can be excruciatingly painful and difficult. They can ask so much of us, leave us wondering how on earth we're going to manage it and keep on going. And so often we never give God the chance to make us capable where we are incapable or to give the strength where we are weak because we back out or we run away or we stick our fingers in our ears and we pretend we're not listening. So what's God asking of you? Is it simply to live for him wherever life takes you? Or is it a more specific task than that? Whatever it is, 
Take courage, you can do it with God. He will make you capable. Celebrate your incompetence by asking God to make you able. Fourthly and finally, in chapter 3, verses 7 to 11, Paul challenges Christians to not settle for old glories, but to seek a new and greater one. Paul refers to the old covenant, the old way of living with God, based on law. This law became a deadly thing because it wiped out hope. Because how on earth can anyone hope to keep the law? The new covenant of God's law is very different, Paul says. It builds a relationship with God instead of being a barrier to that relationship. This becomes a warning from Paul. Don't, he tells us, depend on a covenant of law, of do's and don'ts and legalistic box ticking. Instead, live a life in relationship with God, a life lived in response to his amazing love for you. This, he tells us, is of greater glory, a glory which lasts, a glory which leads to life, not death, a glory which leads to flourishing, not perishing. And so in what ways do you and I need to rediscover God's love for us? In what ways has our Christian life become less of a relationship and more a set of habits or tasks? Every relationship needs investment. Kate and I talk about the marriage box. I called it the marriage bucket at the nine o'clock, but anyway, it doesn't have the same ring really. But if you're constantly taking out of the box, then soon it's going to be empty. And then Kate and I or you know, anybody in relationship would be out of any resources, wouldn't you? The box would be completely empty. And then you'd end up just going through the motion. But keep putting something of yourself into the box. And the relationship is able to grow. Because you can give and you can take. It's similar with our relationship with God. How are you investing yourself into your relationship with God is relationship just going through the motions I encourage us all to be honest about this today and ask God to renew our relationship with him as we commit to do the same after all it's the hope of a relationship with God that makes us bold to live the Christian life says Paul we're not like Moses who had to put up with a fading glory and even veiled his face so that people wouldn't have to watch and witness the fading. We have a glory that lasts, a relationship with God through Jesus, which transforms us into his likeness. So to finish, are you aware of your limitations and our limitations as a church community? Then take heart and take Paul's challenges on board. Nothing in all the world can defeat Jesus and those in his procession. We have a tremendous hope, and as we remain faithful to Jesus and faithful to one another, and as we tell his victory and live out his love, we will spread everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Allow Jesus to do his transforming work in your heart so that people can read all about it in the way that you live. Discover or rediscover what God is asking of you, and then take courage. You can do it with God. He will make you capable and finally only settle for the glory that lasts ask God to renew your relationship with him as you commit to do the same amen